When uh, I was in college, um, I used to pull some all-nighters. You remember, if you ever were in college, all-nighters, working on an assignment, studying for a test, reading a whole bunch of material, and I was in music composition, so that would have been maybe orchestrating something or whatever, just killing the midnight oil. Then finally, you're like, okay, I think I did enough. I'm confident with my work that I've accomplished. I'm going to put it away, and I'm going to go to sleep. Um, but you can't go to sleep. You're, why? Because your brain is just completely wired. You're physically tired, but your brain is still just going on and on and on. You're like, I want to go to sleep, please. But you can't go to sleep. And so what do you do? You maybe turn on television and just see, okay, maybe numbing my brain with whatever. But there's nothing on television. You know, you got news, maybe some reruns of Andy Griffith, if you like that kind of thing. But then they also have infomercials infomercials just touch if you ever seen an infomercial it's kind of the same thing like all of them almost follow the same pattern you have this really cornball of a host and they're just super excited and enthusiastic like trying to sell something that's basically what they're doing they're trying to sell something that's kind of bizarre but the way they talk about it is like you would be a fool if you do not buy this product like this is a new handy dandy potato slicer and peeler all in one. You know, it's, it, it's indestructible. It's made out of, you know, titanium alloy. It's dishwasher safe. It loves Jesus. It's $14.95. And you're like, yes, I want to buy that. And then, then people are on the fence. Oh, I don't really know. If you act now, we'll throw in the miniature version that you use on grapes, on olives, or on other things. And, and, and if you've ever, if that's ever happened where you've actually found yourself picking up and dialing the number and ordering that bizarre product, when it came, typically what happens is, okay, it does what it says it's supposed to do. All right, fine. Is it as amazing as the salesperson put it? Absolutely not. You know, is it something like I would be foolish if I didn't have, I'm just missing out on something? No, absolutely, that's not true. And in some cases, it's actually garbage. You're like, why did I just spend $14.95 on that, you know, garbage, you know? And the pieces, you got to take them apart and wash them. And it's like, it, does, it doesn't make any sense. And you, some of you nodding your head, you're like, ah, I've been there. It's like the walk of shame, right? The nod of shame. Yeah, we did that. You're, you're, you, we were what the British called snookered into something, into buying something. But um, what's, what's tragic is uh, when, when you look at many pastors and preachers, uh, some of them, tragically, are like those salesmen. They see the gospel, they see Jesus as a product that they're trying to sell. They, they're what uh, Paul calls, uh, describes in his letter to the Corinthians, peddlers of the gospel. They're just out there to kind of sell a product. Like if you, you know, follow Christ today, if you join the church today, you will have health, wealth, and prosperity. That all the conflicts you're dealing with will be smoothed out. That you will experience your great breakthrough, financial breakthrough, physical, emotional, spiritual breakthrough. That all your anxiety is gone. All your depression ceases to be. All your physical ailments gone. Everything's amazing. And I always wonder what happens to these people who answer that call. Now God's the ultimate judge as to whether or not these individuals are truly submitting their lives to Christ. But I still wonder what happens after they say that prayer, after they go up for that altar call. What happens when life continues? 
when their anxiety is still there, when their physical ailments are still there, when they're still dealing with financial troubles, what happens? In my experience, what I've encountered is people typically go, God, what gives? God, what gives? You're not living up to your end of the bargain, which to tell you the truth that God never promised any of those things. But that's what they were sold on. I think like how, how crushing, crushing that is. Now, I, I think many of us who are followers of Jesus would, with a resounding yes, say that, or amen, would say that Jesus in our lives is a lot better than Jesus not in our lives. You know, yeah, amen. You know, it, it, I, I can't, I don't even want to, for me personally, I don't even want to imagine what my life would be without Jesus without my savior, without my king, without my source of peace, without my source of meaning and purpose in life, I don't know what would happen. You know, Jesus has been an absolute blessing. God has transformed my life. My testimony, I call it a boring testimony in the sense that I was raised pretty much in a Christian home, you know, and I didn't rebel and go into some cult and murder someone. That never happened, but that doesn't cheapen the miracle that God accomplished in my life when I turned my heart over to Christ. And you guys can know you, you, who you were prior to Christ, you're not that way. Christ has done an amazing work in your life. And yes, to have Jesus in my life, I wouldn't have it any other way. But we recognize that life, just because we're followers of Christ, it doesn't mean life is going to be all gumdrops and roses and rainbows. You know, especially if, if you've been a, a, a believer for a, num- a period of time, you realize the more you push into Jesus, the more you press into to following Jesus and serving Jesus and following Jesus, the more you experience conflict. The more you experience opposition, the more things are just difficult. I think of the individual, the, the man who says, you know, I want to be the man that God called me to be. I want to be the head of my home. I want to love my children the way they, 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 they deserve and disciple them and love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm going to try to do that. All of a sudden, boom, they're hit with some conflicts their kids are behaving really rough right now i don't know what's going on and then oh the, 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 you know my, my job is is, is taking is, is getting more crazy and hectic and i'm, I'm losing chance to, to be with my family i'm i'm constantly putting pulling all-nighters in the office or you know even my wife and i we're, we're, we're having all these conflicts and fights and she's behaving in a way that's really hard for me to love her it's like well what's going on the individual who decides, you know, I want to, I really want to cherish God's word. I want to study, read, and memorize God's word. And so I'm going to make sure that I begin my day reading God's word. And maybe for the first five, maybe five days, a couple of weeks, it goes really well. But then you sleep in. Then life gets more complicated. Then responsibilities happen. And the thing that they absolutely want to do, they find it's so difficult to do it. Well, why is that? Because as, as when we made a decision to follow Jesus, we signed up to the army, an army. We signed up with an army and we were automatically enlisted. Or we were automatically placed in active duty. I'm, I'm sorry, I wasn't in the army. So if I'm butchering that, but we were put into an army and automatically placed on active duty. And that's exactly what Paul's going to be bringing up in our passage this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Our focus this morning is going to be on verses 10 through 20. This is a very familiar passage, especially if you've been a follower of Jesus uh, for a number of years. Uh, So my encouragement uh, to you is 
what typically sometimes happens when it's a very familiar passage is just a kind of zone out. Okay, what's going on? I wonder what we're having for dinner. I wonder what's on. I'm going to answer a couple of emails. I'm going to take a nice little nap, you know, because I've already gone to this. I've t- studied this. Uh, my encouragement is um, g- this is a word for you. This is God's word, and so we're listening to God's word. It's, it's living. It's active, and, and, and so I would encourage you to keep your ears open, even if this is a familiar passage, and uh, just uh, allow the Holy Spirit to to let you uh, relearn, remi- uh, remind yourself of this amazing truth. I, I'm reminded of um, in Philippians, Paul says, it is no, um, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me and it's a safeguard for you. In other words, Paul repeated himself over and over and over again. I can imagine maybe some of the people in those churches were kind of like, Paul, we've already talked about this. Why do you keep bringing it up all the time? Well, because we're humans. We're still in the flesh. We, we forget. Busyness comes in and that familiar truth becomes kind of stored in our little storage cabinet, pantry, whatever you want to call it, in our minds. And it's just, it's not really up front. It's, it, it kind of loses its punch. And so my encouragement is let's, uh, let's read this again with fresh ears, with fresh eyes for God's glory. Um, so... Again, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, focusing on verses 10 through 20. And Paul begins this uh, section uh, with the Greek word loipos. It's in in the NASB, it's translated as finally. It could also be translated as as to the rest, or what remains. In other words, what Paul's saying is he's coming to the close of this amazing letter. But he still has something he needs to teach us. It's like, I'm coming to the close of my, my letter, but I still have more to say. Now, some scholars would, would say that, uh, argue that this section on spiritual warfare is more like the PS of the letter, postscript. Like it's, oh, you know, oh, before I forget, by the way, here's something about spiritual warfare. But it has nothing to do with the rest of the letter. I would argue that this section, verses 10 to 20, is what the entire letter has been leading up to. In fact, more specifically, chapters 4 to chapter 6. Because if you look at the book of uh, the letter to the Ephesians, you could easily divide it into two halves. Chapters 1 and th- one through 3 um, is where Paul is giving um, some amazing uh, uh, truth, some amazing uh, theology. And uh, basically, he's focusing on three things. Uh, the exaltation of Christ. Uh, that the, the, the church is the body of Christ, and that believers have our identity in Christ. And then when he gets to chapter 4, he switches gears. He cha- cha- uh, transitions from, you know, some instruction to now application. In light of this amazing truth, how do you live it out? And he gives a whole bunch of commands and encouragements and appeals. The, the, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Change your attitude, change your behavior, you know, put off, take off the old self, put on the new self, you know, um, um, imitate God as beloved children, uh, be filled with the spirit, submit to one another, love one another. And so, so why, why is Paul making, giving these commands? Well, it's because we're at war. We are engaged in a conflict If there was no war, if there was no conflict, Paul wouldn't have to say all those things. He would just simply say, this is who you are, this is who Christ is, the church is, and who you are in Christ. Embrace that truth, move forward. But instead, he says, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Take off the old, put on the new. Change your behavior. Replace this bad behavior with this good behavior. Remove these vices and put on these virtues. Be filled with the Spirit. 
because we are at war. And this is something we need to be aware of. And that's what actually Paul is, is, is going to uh, uh, go to at first, verses 10 through 12. As Christians, we need to be aware of this battle. We need to be aware of this battle. And so Paul says, he gives a command, verse 10. Finally, he says, be strong. Now that verb is, well, in, in, grammatically, it's passive. It's exactly like when uh, in chapter 5, verse 18, when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, that's also a passive verb. Passive means we don't cause it to happen to ourselves. It doesn't originate from us. It, we have to allow it to happen. So another, word, another way of translating be filled with the Spirit is allow yourself to be filled with the Spirit. Here, be strong could also be translated be strengthened. And it's continually be strengthened. Now, this goes against what uh, the world says, you know, because the world teaches we are all strong. We have, you know, this little lion purring inside a little cage inside of our hearts. And all we need to do is unlock the lock and let the lion go. And he's going to, you know, we just need to have more confidence. We need to, what they call self-actualization. And then we'll be able to, whatever we put our mind to, we'll be able to complete and, you know, charge up that hill. It's all in us. Yeah! But the truth is... When it comes to this battle that Christians are engaged in, we have no chance at winning on our own strength. Now, let me just clarify things. When I say winning, I don't mean in regards to our salvation. Christ has already claimed the victory of this battle. On the cross, when he died, he died and he defeated Satan, sin, and death. The battle is decided. Christ is the victor. Because we are in Christ, his victory is now our victory. So we're not talking about winning in that sense, but there's still a struggle. There's still battles going on. And so while this battle isn't going to condemn us if we're in Christ, uh, it, it still could harm us. And so Paul says, if you are going to have a chance to even get through this battle, to win this battle, you can't rely on your own strength. You can't rely on your own intellect. You can't rely on what others, this, you know, this psychologist says, or this book, self-help book says, you've got to get it from somewhere else. And that's where he goes to next. Finally, he says, be strong or continually be strengthened in what? The Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, some translations will say, and in his mighty strength. Basically, um, if you've ever watched uh, the World's Strongest Men competition, it, a couple of years ago, it was really, really popular because I remember I loved watching it. Guys had huge necks, bigger than their heads. You know, they're just so massive. I mean, these guys are, in, you know, in, in impressive. They can pull a plane across a, you know, a landing strip. They could pull a, a, a diesel engine. They get these huge tires as tall as them, and they just flip them over like pancakes. I mean, these guys are really strong, but their strength doesn't last long. They exert it, then afterwards they're either passing out because they're just so exhausted, or they're just like trying to, you know, calm them down. The coach is like, okay, breathe, breathe, because they, they it doesn't last. That's not the case with Christ or God's strength. God has an infinite supply of strength. And so basically what Paul's saying is if you're going to have any chance in winning in this, this spiritual battle, you need to continually be strengthened in the limitless supply of God's strength. And his strength is really strong. 
the strength of his might. What he's capable of doing is beyond what we can even uh, imagine. Be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He then gives a second command. Put on, literally dress yourself in the full armor of God. Now, a lot of this language that Paul is uh, bringing up in this passage uh, has a lot of Old Testament roots, specifically in the book of Isaiah, where God is described as the warrior God who wears this amazing, impressive armor and he fights for his people. And as you continue reading, you hear about the coming Messiah, the warrior king, who also is wearing armor. He's actually wearing the same armor as the, the, the warrior God. You keep on reading, eventually you see that that same armor that they're both wearing is given to his people to wear. And that's what Paul's getting at here, is if we are truly in Christ, we have been given our king's armor. So guess what the, the command is? Put it on. Dress yourself up in the full armor of this world. The full armor of God. It's like, whoa, that's really cool. Well, why? Why? He says, so that you will be able, you will have sufficient energy or ability to stand firm to be established, to hold your ground against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now in the Greek, Paul says blood and flesh. Now some scholars have wondered why he words it that way. I'm still studying that. I really don't know. What I do know is what Paul's saying here is that our true enemies, the true enemies that we are battling with are not physical enemies. That's what he's going at. He says, our struggle is not against, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. This is literally could be translated as the chiefs, as those of principal authority against the authorities, other authorities against the, uh, the powers, against the world forces, world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of the wick of wickedness in the heavenly places. Heavenly places is just a term that Paul uses again and again in Ephesians to refer to the spiritual realm. So again, the real enemy, our true enemy is not a physical enemy, it's a spiritual enemy. Our true battle is not a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. So this is what Paul's trying to make sure that as Christians, we need to be aware that we are part of a battle. It's not a physical, it's a spiritual. And it's against a pretty formidable enemy. There was, um, C.S. Lewis once said that uh, there, there are two ways uh, people can err when it comes to this topic of spiritual warfare. Uh, facing, you know, Satan and demons and that kind of thing. Um, number one, either they have an unhealthy obsession about demons and spirits, like they see a demon in every cough and hiccup and car glitch. You know, it's like, oh, the light went off. Oh, just because the, the, the filament in there didn't just snap. No, because the spirit of darkness went upon that light right there and we need to cast it out. You know, that, that kind of thing. You know, some people have an unholy obsession about spirit, the, the spirit world, and others don't really think it's that big of a deal. Like, oh yeah, the devil and demons, but they're really nothing. What Paul's saying here is the opposite of that, what we should be thinking. Because first he says, number one, 
we need to be strong in the Lord. The strength that we need to fight in this battle doesn't originate from us, doesn't come from us, it needs to come from someone else. If we try to engage in this war on our own strength, we're going to lose. Not only that, the, our enemy is very smart. Look at it. In verse 11, he says, be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That's the Greek word methodeia. That's where we get the word method. They're methodical. They think through things. They're not just a bunch of disembodied spiritual goons just, let's cause a bunch of mischief. No. This is the kind of army that we train our armies for. It's a really, it's a smart enemy. And not only that, they're highly organized. Now, Paul doesn't go into all the reason. You know, he brings up rulers, powers, world forces, spiritual forces. And there's a lot of people who kind of run with that. And, oh, let's try to figure out what, what this actually means. And there's books about it. I would just say, you know, the Bible really doesn't dive into all the intricacies of what Paul's saying. And I would say that it's not important for us to know. Other than they're not just a mamby-pamby little army. Oh, they're nothing. No, they are strong, they are smart, they are highly organized. They're the kind of army that we would want our military to look like. Strategic, they know how to engage the enemy, and that's exactly what this enemy does. They're a formable foe. Is that the right term, formable? Trying to be like very military language here. Formable foe. They are. Formidable, formidable. Formidable. There we go. Formidable foe. Now, Paul's not bringing this up to freak us out, to scare us, to make us anxious and go, oh no, we got no hope. The truth is, the way Paul's going to go on, is that God has given us everything we need to win this battle. He's given us everything we need to win it. We just need to receive it, embrace it, put it on. So yes, it's a struggle. It is a bad struggle. It is a dangerous struggle. You know, uh, there's so many descriptions of, of, uh, of Satan. He's, he's a liar. He accuses uh, uh, the God's people day and night. This talks about in John 10, 10, that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You know, so it's like th- this, this battle that we're a part of, the enemy that we're fighting, they don't have a Monday through Friday, nine to five schedule. Like, oh, wow, it's five o'clock and I'm the good. Satan is, you know, having his dinner. You know, oh, it's the weekend. That means I'm okay. I'm not going to be spiritually attacked today. No, it's a battle that's constantly raging. We can't see it, but it's constantly raging As we're awake, even when we go to sleep and we're asleep at night, the war is still raging. It's not quitting. So we have to be aware that there's a battle. We're part of this battle. It's a spiritual battle, not a physical. And um, real quick, just before we just, I know kind of taking a little time on this, but when it comes, when when Paul's saying that our, our real struggle here is not against flesh and blood. The word that he uses for struggle is a word that he uses for wrestling back in those days. So he's talking about this battle isn't just like, okay, we're here on this canyon, side of the canyon, and the enemy's on this side of the canyon, we're just launching mortars at them. No, this is hand-to-hand combat. That's how intense this battle is. 
And again, when he talks about this, this, this battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. This should change how we view people in this world. Particularly, let's step on some toes, um, the leaders that we have in Washington. How we view them. How we see those individuals and we, 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 we look at them and we see, oh man, they're making so many bad mistakes. And I would, even, I would even agree that some of the decisions they're making are plain evil decisions. Contrary to God's word. The, 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 the tendency is for us to look at those leaders and say, pointy ears, you know, pointy horns. I mean, pointy horns, a little fork, you know, a little pitchfork, you know, tail. They're the devil. Oh, they're the devil. That politician, the devil. The truth is, they're not the devil. They're enslaved to the devil. They're a pawn of the devil. Just like we, prior to Christ, we were in that same boat. We were a pawn. We were enslaved. Now again, I, I have to admit, looking on the news, seeing what's going on, it's really hard for me to go, Oh, these people, you know, sometimes you want to just like, you know, notice I didn't use words. I just did the actions, (laughs) you know, just like, oh, what are you doing? You're ruining our country. You're ruining our lives. Yeah, to the eyeballs, you know, but Paul's saying those people aren't the real enemies, It's the influence, the powers and authorities behind them. That's where the enemy is. These people that you're looking at that you have so much animosity maybe towards, that's really hard, like, oh man, I just if I had a was by that by myself with that person, oh they're enslaved to sin. They need Jesus. I mean, well, I never made bad decisions like that. No, but you were still prior to Christ, spiritually dead in your trespasses and sin, by nature a child of wrath, like the rest. And God offered you grace and mercy. You surrendered to him and he saved you. He redeemed you. He wants to do the same thing with these guys, these ladies. So it should change our perspective on where the battle really is. Even amongst each other, if we get on each other's nerves, we are not the real enemy. It's what's behind all of that. That's where the battle lies. We need to be aware. So anyways, Christians need to be aware of the battle. The second thing that Paul brings up in verse 13 is that Christians, we need to prepare for this battle. Paul says, therefore, in light of the fact that we are engaged in a uh, hand-to-hand combat, close quarters, fighting, not a physical fight, but a spiritual battle against a formidable foe. There we go. Formidable foe. We need to prepare. So Paul says, 13, therefore, take up, receive, carry. This is the idea of almost grabbing it with your hands. Physically grab it. Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist, to stand against, to oppose in the evil day. Many of us are going to experience evil day. Many. Some of you may be even right now experiencing the evil day where the enemy just comes and attacks. 
so that you may be able to stand to oppose, resist on the evil day. And having done everything, that word there, having done, could also mean prepared. Having prepared everything to stand firm. The whole purpose of, of preparing for battle is so that we as Christians could resist in the evil day and stand firm, hold our ground. Again, this is one of those, those um, wars, uh, these battles that for a lot of us, because it's, it's not, you know, it gets talked about only occasionally that this reality that we're dealing with kind of, again, gets pushed back into their, our thoughts and we're just kind of like, oh, moving on, moving on. And then all of a sudden, wham, what happened? What happened? What's going on? And we forget that we're engaged in a battle. We need to have that. And Paul's going to bring that up about this idea of alertness. So then he moves on. So first thing, we as Christians need to be aware of this battle. It's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle against a formative foe. Yeah, there we go. And then as Christians, we need to prepare for this battle. And the purpose for preparing, the goal for preparing for this battle is so that we can resist the enemy, that we could stand firm, hold our ground not retreat. Uh, I just, I was talking with uh, Mark uh, earlier this morning and uh, there's a story um, with, uh, and I don't know if it's actually historically accurate, but I thought it was a pretty cool story regarding uh, the Romans and Julius Caesar when they went on, uh, went to England to fight, I believe the Saxons there. And uh, when they landed, they landed in pretty hostile territory and the Saxons were well-equipped and ready to fight and everything. And Julius Caesar wanted his men to stand firm, to hold their ground and not retreat. So he ordered the boats be burned so they could not leave. They had to be focused. They had to engage. And that's kind of that, mental, that, I, that image comes to my mind. It's like, there's no retreating. There's no retreating. Standing firm, holding our ground. Again, God has given us everything we, we need to, to, to do that. So he moves on, four, verses 14 to 17, he moves on to describing this armor that we are to put on. Verse 14, stand firm, therefore, again, we're in a battle, it's a bad battle, but it's not an impossible battle. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. The idea of having girded, it's the idea of almost wrapping a belt around. In, in, in battle, uh, Romans would, would, would tie a leather belt around their clothing because their clothing was pretty loose, and so they would wrap the, 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 their clothing tight to their body with a, a, a leather belt kind of thing. And you know, then they would hike up you know, with their skirts and everything, just make sure they're ready to go. Um, men, you would, you'll know what I mean by this. This is the difference between Boxers or briefs, and I'll leave it at that. Okay, don't need to. If you want, honey, your wives, if you're wondering, what does he mean? Ask later. You could ask later what that means. But that's kind of the idea. Preparing for battle. Preparing for battle. You got to make sure you're ready to, to go. And he brings up the guarded, having girded your loins with truth, with truth, that we are to be soldiers of the truth fighting for the truth, living the truth. Because as, 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 as Jesus said, that, that the devil is the father of lies. That's like, that's his natural language. He's just a liar. 
And the world, this world system is just pumped full of all these lies. And as Christians, we don't live in that. We don't abide by that. We live for truth. We stand for truth. We proclaim truth. We live it out. So he says, gird yourself, gird yourself, wrap yourself up, prepare yourself for, for, for battle. It's truth. Then he moves on to the second, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And in those days, uh, it was, it could have been the, you know, literal breastplate as you would think, you know, Roman style. Uh, sometimes it had chain mail attached to it that went from the back and also the front. It was a, a heavy piece of, of, uh, equipment or armor, uh, but it was very, very important because what it did, it protect the heart, right? Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, from the moment we've made the decision to follow Christ, submit to his lordship, we were forgiven of all of our sins and declared righteous. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything Christ did for us. In fact, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, remember, uh, he says that God, before the foundations of the world, chose those who would be, you know, chose us, the church, to forever stand before him as holy and righteous and blameless from now on to eternity. So we have righteousness. We don't earn righteousness. We don't work to receive righteousness. We have the righteousness. So just put it on and live it out. As soldiers, we need to be soldiers of the truth, standing for the truth, proclaiming the truth, living the truth, and we need to be soldiers of righteousness. Not living as this world. As, as Paul later on, in, in, earlier on in, in chapter 5, don't walk as unwise, but as wise. Live righteously. Make the best use of opportunity. Be filled with the Spirit. Take off those vices and put on these virtues. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. Because that's who you are. Live it out. Verse 15. And having shod your feet. The word there, shod, is, is the idea of binding underneath or fastening under. Uh, one translation uh, translated it like having shooed your feet, which I think is a, is a pretty uh, good interpretation here. Having shooed your feet uh, with the preparation or readiness of the gospel of peace. Now this is interesting because we're in the middle of a, of a battle, spiritual battle, Right? And yet, Paul brings up this idea of peace. Peace. Jesus was described as the prince of peace. We follow him. And so as soldiers, not only are we to be soldiers of truth, soldiers of righteousness, we're to be soldiers of peace. We're to be soldiers of peace. Now, some in this room, your natural default is... Ugh, attack, go papa bear, mama bear on someone, right? And, and again, what Paul's arguing here is not pacifism, you know, or passive, passive, is that the right word term? He's not, he's not arguing about that. He's not talking about, oh, Christians should never engage in anything, should never defend themselves. That's not what, that's not anything what Paul's talking about right here. What he is bringing up though, and he brings up elsewhere, is that our natural default should not be mama bear, papa bear, ready to attack. Our, 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 net, our first default should be peace. In fact, Paul says um, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, so long as it depends on us, live at peace with everyone. In other letters, he says, pray. Why? So that you can live in peace. Why? Because we are to proclaim 
this gospel of peace. We follow the prince of peace. We, bring, we, we follow the one who brings peace not only between a humanity and God, but also between each other. And so that's, as soldiers, we need to be soldiers of peace. We need to be soldiers who are prepared, who are ready to proclaim peace. And that this language here um, um, fits very much with uh, Isaiah 52, verse 7, where uh, the, the prophet says, uh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. In fact, uh, Paul will pick that up in Romans and, and recite that same passage. How beautiful the feet of those who bring the euangelion. That's the Greek word here used for gospel. It's good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came. He lived, he died, he offers salvation, forgiveness of sin, and a future hope. That's what we're supposed to ready ourselves with ready to proclaim it wherever we go. We proclaim peace. We live it out. Again, this has nothing to do with, can I not defend myself? Can I not defend those around? No, no, that, that's not what Paul's getting at. It's just saying our, our, our default shouldn't be attack or, you know, mama, I could use the term mama bear, papa bear on someone, but our, our, our default should be peace and we should proclaim peace. Verse 16 says, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith. Now, in the, the Roman times, they had uh, two different kinds. Well, they had, they had a variety of shields. Uh, one, when it came to hand-to-hand combat, they had this a shield that was a, more of like a circle, shorter, smaller shield. Um, and it was, you know, when you're fighting and you can kind of... Um, block. Um, but the most impressive shield for the Roman army was this full body length shield. It was, I forget, two, three feet wide, five feet tall or so. It had interlocking um, sides so that you can connect them together and form basically a wall. Um, it had you know, metal, wood. It also was covered with, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Losing my train of thought. Uh, no. <laughs> it was covered with, uh, I was about to say uh, cow, cow meat, but that's not, it's not, a, a cow hide, hides. It was covered with hides. I don't know, cow meat, whatever. It, it was a long, it was a long day, long day. And guess what? We're in a battle too. So the enemy's just like, no, you're going to be, no. Um, anyways, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was covered with uh, this cowhide, which was flame retardant, especially if it was soaked in water. And so Paul's using uh, this language here. He says, in addition, taking up the shield of faith with, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows or all the flaming darts and missiles of the evil one. Because that's what they did in the old days. They had, you know, they form a, a, an arrow uh, with some material on the tip of it, dip it in pitch, and they would use it to, you know, light fires on buildings and on people. And the uh, it was interesting later on with the Romans, but right before the, the fall of the empire, they used a type of pitch that um, couldn't be taken uh, d- doused with water. If you put water on it, the flames actually got more intense. You actually had to throw dirt on it. So that's kind of, I think of like the, the, these flaming arrows. It's like, oh, these are not just little pew, pew, pew. Things like, bom, bom. these are really dangerous. And oh, oh, take up that shield of faith. The idea of, of, of putting our trust and belief in, 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 in our God, in our Savior. 
will keep us, protect us uh, from the attacks of the enemy. The enemy is always looking for an opportunity to uh, you know, send one of his little darts our way. Again, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's either going to try to physically kill you. He's going to try to, if he can't do that, he's going to try to steal something. Rob you of your joy. Rob you of your health. He's just going to try to cause something. He knows he can't have you. But my goodness, doesn't mean he doesn't hate, he still hates you. He doesn't want you to live the life that God wants for you. He's going to do everything he can. So Paul says, take up that shield of faith. Trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Trust in the power of God that God will give you everything you need to go through the life that you're living. That will extinguish those, those scary flaming darts. Oh my goodness. You'll be able to stand and those darts will go boop, 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 not even touch you. So take up that shield. Verse 17, Paul says, take up the helmet of salvation. Here he uses a different word. Uh, when he says, take the helmet, it's, it's this idea of receiving, welcoming. It's almost like grabbing and, and, and almost embracing, like holding almost precious. Grab, hold together, hold closely um, the, the, the helmet of salvation. We need, to be ta- we need to make sure we're taking care of our minds. In, in my experience, um, one of the major targets that the enemy goes after or shoots at is our minds. Which is why I think Paul says in, in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to the pattern, pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If he could infect and affect your, you know, your, your mind, it's going to affect your heart. It's going to affect how you live. So the enemy is going to constantly try to get at your mind. He shoots a dart your way. You call yourself a Christian? Shoots another dart. I'm going to attack your, attack your wife. I'm going to attack your family. I'm going to mess up that relationship you have with your neighbor. I'm going to attack your health and see what you do. Will you still stand for God? Oh, I don't think so. Not when I'm done with you. You can't do anything. No one loves you because you're unloving. You're unlovable. No one cares about you because you're not worth caring about. You can't do what God calls you to do. You can't be the man that God wants you to be. You can't be the woman God wants you to be. He says, protect your mind. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is you know, uh, good, whatever is worthy of, 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 of praise, he says, think of those things. Why? God will give you peace. You gotta really protect your mind. Put on that helmet of salvation. Here, you, you, here's some amazing truth about our salvation. God has saved us from sin's penalty. He has saved us from uh, sin's power. And one day he's going to save us from sin's presence. Think of that. 
When the enemy's coming at you, throwing darts at you, you're not equipped to do what you need to do. You're a fool. You're a failure. You're ugly. You're whatever. Whatever. Protect your brain. Protect your mind. Protect, uh, think of the truth of your salvation. Think of the truth that we've been reading about here in Ephesians. That you live in this world, but you're not part of this world. You're in Christ. You are part of his kingdom. He has transferred us, Paul says in Colossians, from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, that's where we are. Protect your mind. He says, take up the helmet of salvation. And then he goes, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, Paul uses... Typically, when he's talking about the Bible, the Word of God, he uses the the Greek word logos. Uh, here, he uses the Greek word rhema, which can be translated again word. But the, the focus is not so much on it being written word and read word. It's a word that could be written, but also spoken. And, and the kind of what I, I think again, this is just my uh, my understanding, is it's not enough just to read God's word, memorize a bunch of Bible facts, and then that's it. I'm ready to go. We need to take God's word and make it a part of ourselves. I think when when Jesus was uh, being uh, tempted in the wilderness, the devil would tempt him. What was Jesus' response? It, It is written. It is written. The first lie that happened way back in the Garden of Eden was, did God say? He got our first parents to doubt, thank you, doubt God's word. Did God really say? As, as soldiers in this battle, we need to make sure that we go into this battle armed with our sword he calls it the sword of the, the spirit and the in the word that he uses for sword it's not this you know long huge broad sword and, and for the romans it was more like a long dagger it was short but it was still very strong and powerful and you know so you can move it really quickly that's kind of the, that's the word being used here it's a it's a sword not just for display it's a sword for battle fit for battle uh, a number of years ago, um, I was young, we were at a, at a, a museum, and it, they had a little exhibit that was called like the, the Tools of War. So as a boy, we were like, yeah, Tools of War, let's see what's in there. And they had all these things, you know, javelins and spears and axes, so huge. Then they had these swords, like no, no joke, probably as big as this stand, you know, this music stand, and about that broad, just these massive swords. Some of them, they said like 100 pounds. I'm like, these are impressive swords. It doesn't make sense for battle. You know, in a display case, behind the glass with impressive lighting, music in the background, oh, that looks really cool. But completely impractical for fighting. Tragically, a lot of um, many Christians view God's word the exact same way. That it's this, it's this pretty thing that we could display in our homes and it looks nice, but it's really not 
practical for fighting. It's not adequate to get me through what I'm going through. And, and, and here Paul says, no, 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 if you're going to, If you're going to win in this battle, you need to not only take up the helmet of salvation, but you need to take up, again, it's the idea of receive, welcome, embrace the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Not just reading it, not just getting all the facts, uh, putting it in your life, making it a part of your life. And then he moves on to verses 18 to 20, where he kind of comes to close to this. And he's not done talking about spiritual warfare. He's still continuing. And he brings up this, the topic of prayer. He says, uh, with all prayer and petition, pray only on breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What does it say? Pray at all times. On all occasions and every occasion, in, the, in his, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, uh, he says, uh, you know, uh, pray without ceasing. That's kind of the idea. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. Now, some people think, okay, in the spirit, does that mean praying in tongues? Does that mean going into this like meditative state? No, it's literally praying in the spirit and not praying without the spirit. <laughs> That's basically the way Paul brings this up. Pray in the spirit, don't pray in the flesh. You know, it's the Holy Spirit really that allows us to have that connection, uh, that, that, that intimacy with God. The Holy Spirit's work in our lives. When it comes to prayer, um, you know, again, we, we, we tend to think of it as kind of the last resort. It's the last ditch effort. I've already expended myself in all these other, you know, uh, ways of trying to deal with the situation. I guess now all I have to do is pray. And what Paul's saying here is, if you want to win in this spiritual battle, you need to be strengthened in the Lord. You need to put on, put on his armor and you need to pray. Prayer is not a last ditch effort. It's the very thing. In fact, I would say it is the key to spiritual warfare. Uh, I once knew a a man who his job was to, he had a walkie-talkie in in the army, and his job was to um, talk with the the main headquarters, the the people who were in charge. That was his job was to relay information. Okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're here. Should we go? Should we proceed? Should we move forward? Oh, we've got some people, you know, locked down over here. We need some help and da-da-da-da. That was his, his job. And when, you, when it comes to prayer, that's kind of what comes to my mind. Is that we, Prayer is that walkie-talkie where we have access to main headquarters. We have access to the guy in charge. And we can say, okay, God, this is where we're thinking of going. Should we, keep, should we go? God, this is the decision we're going to make. Should we make that decision? God, I have some uh, buddies over here, and they're getting really hammered by artillery. Can you help them out? Because notice what he says. Uh, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And, the, and with this in view, be on the alert. There's the idea of don't be, don't be asleep. Don't keep awake. Keep vigilant. With all perseverance, so literally unremitting continuance. Ooh, that's a big word right there. With all, per- don't stop. Don't stop. Keep going. Keep praying. He says, not only praying for yourself, but look what he says. With all perseverance and petition 
for all the saints. You're not only praying for yourself, you're praying for others. You realize that when you pray for someone, you're helping them get through spiritual attack. You're helping them win against the enemy. When you're praying for them, Paul in in, in uh, Second Corinthians uh, chapter one, Paul says, "You know, we were really, really bad off, and we almost thought we were going to die, but God was helped us, and you helped us through your prayers." That's really significant. It's something that Paul says, and it's like, "Whoa, Paul, elaborate on this a little bit more." It's just so that's that's an incredible claim, and we read through that, and we go, "Oh yeah, prayer." It's what we do, right? Now I lay me down to sleep. It's so much more than that. It is part of our arsenal when it comes to attacking the enemy. We need to be praying. Praying not only for ourselves as we're going through the the trials that we're going through, the attacks that we're going through, but pray for one another. This is why we're, we're wanting to uh, do the prayer after the service, 15 minutes after the service, which I encourage you to be a part of. Because we're at a point, a transitionary time, transitionary time? Transition time, late night last night, if you can imagine. Um, transition time in our church. And what does the enemy want to do? Attack. Let me bring some division. Let me bring some animosity. Let me bring some frustration. Let me bring some irritation. Let me bring just some conflicts and squabbles and blah, blah, blah. Let me do whatever I can to destroy that church. Oh, guess what? They're without an elder. Let's get them. Think about that. Paul says, be on the alert. Don't fall asleep. Wake up. Pray. Not just once, not just when you're before your meals, not just before you go to bed. Continually pray with all perseverance. Not only for yourselves, but for all the saints. Pray for each one. Then I love this. Look how he closes this in verse 19. And pray on my behalf. So also pray for me, Paul's saying. That utterance... Or that the word may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador. I'm a representative in chains that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought. Paul's saying, hey, listen, pray continuously for yourselves. Pray for the, the, the rest of the body, the, all the saints. And pray for me that I have Courage. You think, Paul, really? This is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. And Paul's saying, pray that I would have courage. That I would be able to speak boldly. Think, Paul is awaiting trial. His life doesn't even know how long it's going to last. And you know, he's, he's chained 24-7 to a Roman guard. You don't know how that, how that treatment was. Probably pretty intimidating. Maybe he was getting shoved. Maybe he was getting beaten up every once in a while. And he's about to go against Emperor Nero and and make his case. Really overwhelming, I would think, uh, situation there. 
And Paul's like, he doesn't say, oh, Lord, oh, you know, pray that I, my, I have a comfortable cell. Pray that the guards are nice for me. Pray that I have food enough to eat. No, what does he pray? Pray that I have courage. Pray that I have boldness. Um, there was a guy many uh, years ago during World War II. His name was uh, Daniel Pauling. And he had a son. His son's name was Clark. Uh, who enlisted in the army during World War II, and he enlisted as a chaplain, an army chaplain. And uh, he went overseas, and his dad and his mom, Daniel, and his wife uh, would pray for their son every single day. Lord, keep my son safe from the enemy. Keep him protected. Bring him home to us. They pray that over and over and over again. One day as he was reading God's word, and, and he just was convicted, he's like, you know what, I've been... The Lord knows I want my son back. But I've been praying kind of selfishly. I've been praying what I want instead of what, Lord, what do you want? So he says, Lord, you know I want my son home. You know I want him safe. But Lord, I want your will for my son. And what I want you to give my son, Lord, I want you to give my son courage. Well, his son was uh, on a, a, I think it was a, it was a ship that was transformed, uh, trans- transporting soldiers it was like a, a 900 soldiers were on this particular ship and they were attacked uh the ship went down and clark died so 900 people were on that ship 600 were sur- survivors and um as daniel started talking among the crew uh the, you know they asked him oh so you know who was your son did i know him and so oh yeah my son was clark <gasps> oh i know clark See, when the, the, the ship was attacked, I don't know if it was being bombed or torpedoed, whatever was happening, uh, people were dying, they were injured, and Clark, along with uh, three other chaplains, were walking around proclaiming the gospel, comforting those, praying for those, you know, for others, and just, that's what he was doing. You're okay, you're okay, you're okay, okay. The, the boat started sinking, and... Um, Clark still started, you know, trying to help everybody. And the whole time, he's still proclaiming the gospel, reciting scripture, you know, be, be encouraged, you know, uh, turn to Christ if you haven't, you know, that kind of thing. And um, they were running out of life jackets. And he, along with the three other chaplains, decided to take off their life jackets and give it to four other guys. And they ended up locking arms and just continuing to recite scripture as the boat was going down. And these, the crew was like, I know Clark. That's what he was doing. And um, his dad was like, that's what I prayed. I prayed that my son would have courage. And God did. We're a part of a battle. It's a, it's a, it's a, a battle against a pretty bad, bad army, bad whatever, enemy. But... The victory has already been won through Christ. We're in Christ, so that victory is our victory. But the battle still rages on, and so we need to prepare. We need to put on God's armor. God's armor, think about that way. It's God's armor. We get to put that on. And pray. Pray. I, this is, you guys, I I didn't, I didn't plan for Ephesians to be my final sermon with you guys. I had summer already marked out. I had exactly what I was going to do. 
But it just works out. It shows God's providence that we're ending right at this transition, this book. What has this book been about? Christ is the exalted Lord above all. He is the name above all other names. You have no fear of anything. Why? Because Christ is above all of it. The church is not a building. It's its people. You are in Christ. And as Paul, would, as Paul asks for, for his personal prayer, I would say, you guys, pray for me. Pray that God would give me courage. Pray that God would give my family courage to do what we have to do to leave you guys. I know God is, is moving us. And if I were to kick and scream, I'd just be kicking and screaming against his will. But it's still hard. And as a, as a shepherd, I, I, I apologize for not being the best shepherd that you guys need. But I'm still a shepherd, and I worry about you guys after I'm gone. But I'm also encouraged that he's given you his armor. And he's given you guys some great guys, some amazing leaders. It's been a joy serving with those leaders. They've been an encouragement to me through all my uh, failures and faux pas and missteps and un, un, unintentional hurting of you guys. <laughs> They've been gracious and you guys have been gracious and loving. So pray for each other. Pray, um, but pray also for me and my family. What I'd like to do is I'm going to go ahead before I just blubber this whole time. Um, I figured might as well just get it out now, right? So that next week I'll just be like, hey, everything's great. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer and then we're going to do something a little bit different. So let's just go ahead and, and close in prayer and, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and close. Father, uh, thank you so much for this word. Thank you that uh, you have given us everything we need to fight this battle that is raging on. The Lord, the enemy is, is, is seeking to attack. Lord, I know for me personally, I have been feeling attacked like mad. Um, and I know this church is being attacked like mad. And I know it's going to only intensify once I go and we move to another a season, Lord. And so I... I pray that uh, you would encourage uh, this body uh, to, 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 to stand firm, to put on their full armor and to pray. Lord, may, they be a, 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 may this church be a church of prayer, not of fighting, not of squabbles, not of dissension, not of division. May it be a, a, a church of prayer, a church that has heart, a church that loves Lord, thank you so much for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.